Thank you for joining us for part two of Anthony O'Connell. Uh, we will pick up right after the Civil War when she returns to Cincinnati. Okay, I'm so looking forward to it. I love the part as we lead to the rest of her life. Yeah, great story. So when the war ends, um, Sister Anthony returns to Cincinnati um, and she'll spend the next 30 years doing what she did she before that. the war, yeah. you know, and she's now basically hospital work. Um, and so she, she sees this need now because so many soldiers have died during the Civil War. There's this need to help widows, mm -hmm. you know, um, women that have had these children um, and have no help. They didn't really have the help that they could have today. There really wasn't pensions or, you know, things for these orphan children, basically. Mm -hmm. So these women had to start raising children on their own. And I have no idea how they did that, you know, with no help, you know, and women didn't really work. They weren't trained in skills. And so some of them, um, I actually, if I can share a personal thing, I have a, a relative that I came across that died during the civil war and he had a six year old, a four year old and a two year old. And I'm thinking, what did his, like, what did his wife do? Like, what did she do? You know? And so, for some of them, they didn't have family to depend on. And so this is where she really sees a need and she just goes right to work. And yeah. she starts St. Joseph's Infant and Maternity Home. And she also taps into um, her ability to fundraise. Right. She is doing, like again, doing once again what she was doing prior to the Civil War. Right, um, right. So she's officially discharged from the army yeah. in 1865 also. Um, and she is sent back to um, the hospital, St. John's Hospital, and she immediately realizes, well, this isn't going to work, you know? And so she starts to raise money for that. Yeah. Um, she um, goes to the mayor first. He secures about $30,000, and she's kind of like, well, that's not that enough. wasn't enough. <laughs> like, not, wow, $30,000. Uh, not for time. what she wanted to do. You know, yeah. she really wanted to to build something, um, I think very innovative, something new that would meet their needs. And so there are two gentlemen, Joseph C. Butler and Lewis Worthington. They were not even Catholic. They come to her assistance, they buy um, the Marine Hospital and they give it to her. And it, it's what becomes Good Samaritan Hospital. Yeah, and again, um, you know, like your earlier comment moments ago where you kind of see, you know, Mother Seaton coming out of here, you know, like. Sister Anthony also developed the relationship and then she worked with those relationships right. to help get what she needed to help the country, right. help the ministry. Yeah, which we certainly and, see with Mother Seaton. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and I saw that with Mother Seaton. And, right. And she so and it, and what I think I think that like I know it's called begging, you know, like the begging markets, you know, it's just when you think of begging, it seems like somebody just willing to do anything they're groveling for right. help they're begging right. but when you're like no I, I really need help we need your support you know right. um there is just grace to it right there is a humility right. to it and mother seaton did that and so is just anthony o'connell right and they knew who to go to mm -hmm. <laughs> they knew yeah. the people to go to and uh, but there is a, a great story with how uh, Mr. Butler kind of came into her life. Um, he lived in Cincinnati. Um, he had a, a set of business associate, a Mr. Cooper, that had come to see him in Cincinnati. He didn't know him 
really well at the time, but he realizes that he's sick, that he has a fever. So he sends him to St. John's Hospital with a note that just says, please take care of him like you would the Good Samaritan um, from the gospel, and I'll repay you, whatever you know, whatever his, his fees come to. So Mr. Cooper is there. He's there for a few weeks. He has typhoid fever. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is that after he recovers, he doesn't leave. He, he starts doing errands for Sister Anthony and for other people at the hospital. It's a few months later that Mr. Butler realizes that he never checked on him. He never went to see him. He never paid his bills. Um, so he goes to the hospital. He asked to see the supervisor, that's Sister Anthony, and he's embarrassed. He apologizes. He wants to settle his account. And she basically says that there's no, there's no debt, that you know we treated him you know, with all the love of God, and there's no bills for our work. So he's kind of touched by this, you know, and astonished. And he's like, well, whatever became of him? And she's like, well, he's, he's still here. He's doing (laughs) running errands for me, you know, working with me. So um, she goes and gets him and they talk for a few minutes, but Mr. Butler just keeps coming back and he's just talking to sister Anthony and she's starting to share with him um, their limited space and the conditions of the hospital and the things that they need. And, she talks about, you know, she wants to expand, but she needs the funds. And she's sharing her plan and her, right. what she was envisioning, yeah, what her goals were. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and before you know it, him and his associate, uh, Mr. Worthington, purchased the hospital, the Marine Hospital, for $75,000, and they give her the deed for her 50th birthday. <laughs> so it's like so providential for right. Sister Anthony O'Connell for right. this to happen. Well, it's wow. it's kind of, I don't think she means to do it. I don't think she's setting out oh, to wow. look for every opportunity, but she certainly takes advantage of every opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, for the good. of the people you know um well i mean they always say kindness often reaps good deeds you know and rewards right so which is and so that's how we come with the name of good samaritan hospital because of that story and what mr butler had asked oh my god (laughs) i I heard that story before but i didn't really put the two together oh wow yeah that's but that is providential yeah so when the hospital is completed, of course, she's put in charge of that hospital and she's still in charge of the home for the widows and unmarried um, mothers. And she does this for the next 14 years. In that time, there is a yellow fever epidemic that was a huge yeah. outbreak that she again kind of jumps in and takes hold of. Um, and, and and she no, um, you know, with all respect, she's no spring sick. No, she, by the, know, um, she's. Yellow she's fever. in her 60s. Yeah, she's in her mid 60s by then. Yeah. yeah. So, what happens now is really interesting because she's about 65 years old, and the bishop announced that he's going to remove her from the hospital. Basically, forced retirement. Basically. On her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, nothing that I can find. She doesn't certainly write about it. So you don't know if there's any negativity there. No. Um, it kind of seems like from what the bishop said that he just really felt like she deserved arrest. Arrest. Yeah. You know. Um, so the Cincinnati Enquirer actually quotes the bishop basically saying that same thing. Um, there was initial protests against it because it was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um and what's interesting is like, while he's talking and telling the staff that she's going to retire, she just kind of packs up her 
her spot, her office, which she really didn't have, and and kind of walks past them and leaves. She just leaves that day. And wow. so it just seems very abrupt. Um, I think in my thinking today, people would think, well, then there must have been some kind of discord there. But I think it was her obedience. This is what the bishop told yeah. me to do. So this is what I'm going to go do. It's okay. It's all good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but they talk about her, you know, being up at five in the morning and working all day. Um, even after other people have gone to bed, she would do a final tour. She would go check on patients. Um, but then she, they said she would retire to her room, which really wasn't her room. It was, she would just find a different place to sleep, you know, every night. She just wanted to be there at the hospital. So she was yeah. there 24 yeah. seven. So, you know, when he asks her to leave, it is really, she's kind of moving out <laughs> of her home and, you know, and she goes back the to the other house. Yeah. Home. Right. Yeah. Right. So that, you know, that was a big change for her, I would imagine, you know. But again, like you said, there isn't much going in writing that we can find where there's any discord over this, you know, like, yes, it's probably, it was sudden, it was unexpected. So it's a natural human reaction for some to be like, what are you doing? You're taking it away. But probably for her, it you know, she probably, maybe she was looking for that. Maybe she was looking for someone to say, to Anthony, done good. Right. Now it's time to rest. Right. Like, right. you put everything you could possibly put in your, within your power to have everything be successful and people taken care of and sisters knowing what to do and other lay people knowing what to do, that now it's time to rest. And that's probably what Bishop saw. Right. I think so. You know, I mean, it had to be very tiring, yeah. you know. Um, well, he years, give, didn't he give, like, last remarks to the hospital staff as she was passing through? Right, that's what I'm saying. She kind yeah. of packed up and just quietly yeah. went past as he's talking to the hospital staff about her leaving. She doesn't want a big fanfare. She doesn't, you know, want yeah. a big production about her leaving. She's like, okay, I've basically been transferred. I'll just pack up and, and leave. Um, yeah. However, though, the newspaper, the Western Row, decided, no, we are going to give her a little bit of a fanfare. And they kind of do write an article on right. her. Um, and she's highlighted in, in a, uh, a story that has a longest review of all of her activities, all right. of her work. Right. And, right. And yeah. she's, especially because this is her, like, jubilee year as well right well a few years later okay a few years later but yeah it is interesting i read that article it's a very long article (laughs) really they really did a great job pretty much detailing every year of her her life especially in her sisterhood and i think really wanting to get across um how important she was to cincinnati i think they don't want to let that go um and they tell some of those stories you know of her um you know, begging and getting things and how important she became to even the people at the marketplace, how they became accustomed to seeing her and wanting to help her. Um, she's in retirement for about 17 years. And, um, and that's when they start to see that she, you know, she's sick. Um, and it kind of comes on, I think a little suddenly, um, a sister, um, well, actually mother Davis at that time, um, notices that, um, she's not doing well, and she calls for the bishop. Um, when the bishop arrives, she's only conscious for a few minutes before she dies. Um, she did not speak anything in those last few minutes except to say um, 
pray, pray, and Jesus, Jesus, oh Jesus, kind of over and over again. So she dies on December 8th, 1897, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Um, she sure. died when she was 83 years, years old. old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she has worn the religious habit of a sister of charity for a total of 62 years. Right. Right. And working hard every <laughs> every minute of it, every I think. Um, yeah, she had the, the, the title of the um, angel of the battlefield, right. um, even all the way up to her death, that right. that still resounded. Right. And there's a really nice story that um, at, this, at the same moment that she died, the convent bell was ringing, announcing the angulus. Um, and what there's an Irish tradition, I guess, that when someone departs or, or dies, when the ringing of the angulus, they go straight to heaven. So I think that's just really sweet and really nice that that happened at the same time, um, especially her being Irish and loving Ireland. Um, her death immediately brought forth these expressions of regret from military organizations, um, anyone that knew her that, that just started flooding in, you know, people remembering her and how much um, she meant to them. Um, so she lays in state for a couple of days and then, then they have her funeral. Um, there were soldiers at her funeral that stood guard at her casket. Um, and so it was this mix at her funeral, you know, of sisters and soldiers. And so I, I just think that it was probably quite beautiful. Um, they said that there were soldiers, orphans, widows, those who had been poor and sick and unfortunate who she had given care to. Um, they had, you know, a high mass. The eulogies were the priests, but also servicemen, generals. Like she was just so well thought of. Um, and she is buried in one of six graves that surround Mother Margaret George um, at Mount St. Joseph's, their mother house. They called them the Mystic Seven. And so they're, they're all buried there together. All right, so now we would like to continue our conversation that we had recently with Sister Judith Smith, which I call her Sister Judy. (laughs) Um, She is also a Sister of Charity from Cincinnati, and I look forward to hearing her thoughts on Sister Anthony O'Connell. Sister Anthony definitely seemed to continue that mission of taking care of the person that's right in front of you. and, you know, and I really loved her story, too. Now, Bridget and I were just talking about Sister Anthony and how she was kind of born into the first famine in Ireland. So she was born into death and starvation. Um, she kind of experienced a little bit of that in, in Boston with the anti-Catholic um, sentiment there. And she didn't run away from it. She went towards it. Like, she saw people in need and seemed to want to help them. Is that kind of the same same sense that you get about Sister Anthony? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I think there's indications that even when she was a a young person before she entered the community that she was very active in reaching out to the, uh, you know, the uh, immigrants that were there in uh, Boston. And then, I mean, her whole life, uh, that's what her ministry was. Yeah, I mean, she, um, do you think that that's why she chose the Sisters of Charity, that she she wanted to be with an order that took care of people 
Yeah, because we, that was the one thing that we haven't been able to find. We knew that she was taught by the Ursuline, and I had asked Lisa if she found anything uh, that might have indicated, well, did the Ursuline kind of shape who she was and where she was going in the future? Um, we're just very curious, like, how did she come across the Sisters of Charity? Well, the Sisters of Charity um, came to Boston in 1832 or 3, I can't remember for sure, and opened an orphanage. And um, actually, Sister Anthony had an older sister who had joined the Sisters of Charity. Oh, so, I did not um, know that. She had that connection also. But I think that um, her volunteer work before she entered probably made her aware of the Sisters of Charity. Um, in addition, um, one of the priests that she was very close to had sisters who were Sisters of Charity. So. I think there were opportunities for her to know about the work of the Sisters of Charity. Oh, that kind of like re- now that's it makes new sense. information. Yeah, <laughs> we, well, it uh, makes sense. Yeah, you know, we uh, thought that you know her father died right in eighteen eighteen forty one. Yeah, um, and it and it made it sound like as she had no no family, like, like that we, was it, and it, the Sisters yeah. of Charity really became her family. But she had an older sister that was a Sister of Charity. Well, she had other. Um, family members also. She had a brother. Her father and her brother moved out uh, in West, lived in Illinois, I believe. And there's uh, correspondence with her. She, she apparently kept the whole uh, running correspondence with her relatives all through her life. So it wasn't like she was just uh, didn't have family. Oh. Well, like I said, Lisa, <laughs> you and I are going to have to take a road trip. I know. We're going to come down and we're going to see Margaret George's um, scrapbooks. And now we're going right. to read more on Sister Anthony's um, yeah, early I mean, life. But we, we couldn't find this yeah, information. I, mean, I read a lot of articles on her and no one mentioned um, siblings. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for teaching us something new today, Sister Judy. Right. Because now I want to know, I want to know about her, her older sister. Um, because did she? Well, her older sister eventually left the community, so okay. we don't really know very much about her. Okay. But, okay. Um, okay. Um, but I just, you know, Bridget and I were talking about how, you know, she just again and again and again just seemed to have that same uh, gentle spirit that Elizabeth Ann Seton had, where she knew how to get what she needed. Um, you know, there's all those stories of her going to the marketplace, and and uh, I, they called it begging trips, but. I don't know if she was really begging, but she would ask for things, and and people just seemed to give her things to help the the orphans and the people that were sick, and I just think that shows her personality. Yeah, it's like she just like Elizabeth Ann Seton had a charm about her, you know, that she had friends in high places. She retained those friendship, and they were willing to be there and help her through that. And we kind of see that as we read more on Sister Anthony, she also established relationship and she had a charm about her and that people just gravitated towards her regardless of um, the ugliness that they would have commented on her like in one of their marketing <laughs> trips. Um, so, yeah. So how, how um, if I can ask a personal question, Sister Judy, you know, like, what, what's your take on Sister Anthony? How has she inspired you? Well, I think that um, she was a person who uh, was very, I guess I would say, almost single-minded um, in terms of how she, her vision of what her mission was in life, which was 
to help the poor and the orphans, the sick, the wounded, the uh, unwed mothers, their children, and so on. I mean, and that she was very um, simple and humble person who put up with a lot of um, anti-Catholicism, discrimination, criticism um, because of what sh her vision was, um, especially in founding the uh, starting the foundling home. Um, and yet she just was very clear that these were people that needed help and that's what she should be about. I think it's very much um, kind of Vincent de Paul's vision, if you will, go where you're needed, do what you need to do, mm -hmm. do, do what needs to be done. And uh, she always seemed to, you know, one thing led to another, to another, to another. I mean, she was, when she was running the hospital here in Cincinnati, um, she recognized that there was this whole group of people, uh, unwed mothers, who were being neglected and were being uh, discriminated against because of their condition in life. And so she's right there at the hospital. She's, she purchased a new building and started taking care of them there before she eventually moved out to um, one of the neighborhoods and started St. Joseph's. So, I mean, it's just her whole life, uh, you know, I think, you know, was uh, just really focused on that uh, as being her mission, which she saw, I think, as part of the sisters, who the Sisters of Charity were. Yeah, now she, um, we were reading, she's at Good Samaritan Hospital, she's there um, for a, a good number of years, and then she's kind of... Um, asked to retire and there seems to be some positive and negative response to that like people were upset when she was when she was asked to retire well, I think it's because it was sort of sudden it was like the bishop yeah. came in and say um, sister Anthony you are done right you can now leave the hospital and go back to the mother house so right so so yeah. we're just curious like was there a reason for that? Do you know? Was she ill, or did he feel that she had served her duty, I guess? Well, I think there was, um, you know, after the instant home was started, uh, she was trying to run both the instant home and the orphanage, or excuse me, the instant home and the hospital at the same time, which were in two different locations, and people felt that, um, she was trying to do too much, I think the bishop did, and um, then, you know, they just decided, I don't know why there isn't an explanation for that, that she um, should retire, and of course, she was very well known by that time mm -hmm. throughout the city because of her work at the hospital, her work in the Civil War, and so on, and so there was, you know, as you know how the newspapers can get a hold of something and <laughs> yeah. create a um, story and so they made a big story out of it and she resisted that happening and just said well this uh, this is what I've been told to do and so this is what I'm going to do but she did you know after she quote retired spent a good number of years living at the infant home and working there okay um, yeah, I was wondering where she went. Like, yeah. did she? I wasn't sure if she just went back to the mother house or what she did. I mean, it seemed like she still was involved in a lot of things. Um, yes. 
and you know just like every sister as you know works until they they die <laughs> um we were also kind of like just blew me away is that she's um noted for inventing triage you know which i think was to her was probably just common sense you take the most seriously yeah. ill first um yeah but she's credited for that which is kind of amazing <laughs> yeah. I, it, it makes me wonder like with her growth of just her like medical skills and knowing how to read situation and how to address very stressful, intense time. Do you think that, you know, as she went through her life, all of her skills, all of her knowledge, uh, her expertise, would she have been equivalent to a doctor, you know? Um, well, you know. I don't know if a doctor, um, because, uh, you know, the nur as a nurse, um, nurses were trained on the job by doctors at that time and trained in really specific skills um, and she I mean she was a very uh, intelligent woman I would say and could probably pick things up very quickly and I think you know especially on the battlefield situations in the military hospitals where they worked I mean they were forced to do a lot of, I shouldn't say force, but needed to do a lot of things that probably what they wouldn't have done in a normal situation, just because there weren't enough doctors or the, the injuries that these people experienced were so severe. And so I'm sure she, you know, her skills and her knowledge grew a lot. I think also though that she was a very good administrator and. Uh, you know, was able to go out and raise money for the hospital and to keep these things going uh, while she was administering. I mean, the, the Good Samaritan in Cincinnati that she administered uh, was one of the main hospitals in Cincinnati at that time. And so, you know, she you know, there was a lot going on there. There were many doctors and uh, the beginnings of specialties and so on. Yeah, I mean, she just seemed to to have a way about her and just earn that respect. But we were talking about a story where she looked at another sister, I think it was a sister to sales, and admired her. Like, she didn't... I wonder if she saw everything that she was accomplishing because she would look, just like Elizabeth, I think, Elizabeth yeah. Ann, would look at other sisters and admire them so admire sincerely. Them yeah, and um, and she seemed to do that too. You know, she would look at other sisters and be like, "Wow, look how wonderful they are, how good they are." Um, and I think that's kind of beautiful. I think it's yeah. very similar to Elizabeth Ann. Well, I, yes, I agree. I mean, I don't think she worried about herself very much. You know, she just did what she saw that needed to be done, and that was it. And she didn't like the same going back to the story of leaving the hospital. I mean, it was like, well, this is what my superiors told me to do, so this is what I'm going to do. It wasn't like, well, look at me, look at all that I've accomplished. Why are you making me do this? Right. Right. Well, um, Sister Judy, we had quoted you in the Sister Anthony O'Connell podcast. Um, it's, it was sort of like a, an obituary that you wrote. Um, 
I don't know, Lisa D have that, where you just kind of really summarize who um, Sister Anthony Connell was. And I don't know if you remember writing this, um, it says, she distinguished, distinguished herself by intelligent leadership and uncommon virtue. In the footsteps of St. Elizabeth Seton, Sister Anthony poured out her life for the poor and the needy in the spirit of the rule that directed her to render them in the name of Christ every temporal and spiritual service in her power and you go on and it's just you wrote it so beautifully and I was just curious when you were right that when you wrote this um did you kind of like feel as if you yourself knew Sister Anthony O'Connell because she did keep such detailed um writings of her life and her experiences um, I, I don't know, I feel like when I was reading on Sister Anthony O'Connell, like I kind of, I felt like I knew her. So then when she yeah. died and you read all that, it was, <laughs> the description of the funeral, yeah. it's like, it's sort of like we're all, we're grieving we're ourselves sad. over yeah, her, we're you know? Like we lost a friendship, we lost a sister, we, you know, we yeah. lost this wonderful American hero in a way. Yeah. So I was wondering when you wrote that, like what, what were you feeling at that time? Well, or, I mean, I feel that way about Sister Anthony. Um, that, you know, uh, a lot of people, when we talk about her in our community, say, well, why, why wasn't she ever canonized? And, I mean, if there ever was a candidate for canonization, I, I think she would be one. I, I, because of what I said, I think she was humble, she was selfless, she just devoted herself un, uh, abashedly to her work of caring for the most needy, and um, that that is you know something that's to be to be really admired and emulated as much as possible, um, especially by Sisters of Charity. I think um, you know when I don't know if you've ever read the account of her funeral or her death, right. but I mean she she was out at the infant home, which was clear on the other side of town. And when the sisters realized she was dying, the mother general went out there, the bishop went out there to visit her uh, right before she died. And when she did die, and they had visitation out there, then the body was taken to the hospital. She was buried from the cathedral. Um, the, all the veterans from the Civil War came to the cathedral for her funeral, even though it was 30 years after the war. They used to come to the cemetery and have memorial services for her on the 4th of July. I mean, it just, the, the, the um, attachment, the, the loyalty, the admiration that so many people had for her in her lifetime uh, is just uh, astounding. Yeah, me. I think, I can't even imagine, because like what Bridget just said, just us doing the podcast on her when she died, we were like, we're so sad, <laughs> you know, so you're right. I mean, and that's really what kind of shocked me doing the Civil War tours here. Um, I, I learned about her during the Civil War, but my gosh, there was so much more to her than those four years. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's just like a little... Um, blip in a sense in terms of her whole life. I mean, she lived to be quite elderly and never stopped during her whole life. So. so Sister Judy writes that Sister Anthony distinguished herself by her intelligence, leadership, and an uncommon virtue. In the footsteps of St. Elizabeth Seton, 
Sister Anthony poured out her life for the poor and the needy in the spirit of her role that directed her to render them in the name of Christ, every temporal and spiritual service in her power. She gained respect throughout Cincinnati for her work with the orphans and her administration of the whole only Catholic and one of two major hospitals in the city, both before, during, and after the Civil War. Her work as a U.S. Army nurse in the Civil War brought her fame. After the war, recognizing the plight of an unmarried woman and their children born out of wedlock, she opened the foundling home, which continued um, with her selfless generosity. So I think that just really sums everything up that she was. Um, she was a beautiful woman, you know, and just really did so much work. And she is recognized so far beyond the Sisters of Charity. Um, there's even a picture of her at the Smithsonian. I don't know if I told you that a huge portrait. Oh, no, I didn't <laughs> um, know that. Recognizing an American hero. Yeah. I mean, she's part of what we consider an American hero. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, the way Sister Judy writes that herself is sort of like, like, it's like we were just there at her funeral, right? You know? right. So beautifully said, even a hundred something years later, you know, right. another century later. I know. So, it's like, I, I feel like mourning the loss, like, you know, I feel yeah, the sadness. Yeah. That, that, that's what it is. It's like, you know, when we read so much about her and then you get to her death and then all the details are still shared about her right. funeral. It's like, yeah, we are kind of going in our own little grieving process right. with this woman that we did not know. We never right. personally met, but we felt like we knew her right. and had a sense of who she was through her words. Because right. she she wrote everything down. She right. really did. And right. We were so fortunate to have that. Um, right. Just like Elizabeth Hanstein. Elizabeth Hanstein wrote everything down and we make a connection with her, even right. though she's 200 years before us right and just I feel like the thing to go it, about so um unknowingly like really just this is my work so this is what i do it's not anything that i'm trying to be a success or be known for this is what i do and you know? going back to sister anthony really showcased the true elizabethan spirit right you know that that remark that we made earlier on, right so. right yeah, I mean, she she had the compassion and the love, but she had work to do, and she didn't turn away from it. Yeah, she went right into it. Well, thank you, Lisa, for you know putting together Sister Anthony McConnell to share with everybody. So we hope that you all enjoyed the podcast today. Keep listening. Thank you. Thank you.